you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. Mr. President, I'm here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun. He's gonna shoot the president. Holy smokes, I've gotta do something. All right, Lee, time to become an American hero. Darkmyths.org and Neopolis Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring your host, Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Clark from the Lone Gunman Podcast. And if you're enjoying the show that you're listening to right now, then I invite you to check mine out. It's a true crime history-based podcast where we examine all kinds of conspiracy theories, the players, the places, the people surrounding the assassination of our 35th president, John F. Kennedy. We debunk myths because there's a lot of fake people, fake things, fake information out there trying to mislead you from the truth. Does this sound like an assassin to you? Sir, I work in that building. Were you in the building at the time? Naturally, if I work in that building, yes, sir. Back up, man. Come on, man. No, they're taking me in because of the fact that I live in the Soviet Union. I'm just a patsy. The famous words of Lee Oswald, I'm just a patsy. Was he innocent or guilty? Tune in and find out. Darkmist.org. iTunes. Stitcher. Tune in radio. Spreaker. Thank you. What is up, everybody? Yes, that was weird, hearing my own voice at the beginning of this show. But I played it for a reason. And the reason is, that is the trailer for this show. And the momentous occasion that I actually have a trailer for this show is that this month, the month of July, I, and this very show here, the Lone Gummin Podcast, is the featured show for the Dark Miss Podcast Collective. That's right. My brothers and sisters at darkmiss.org are going to be pimping my show. They're going to be playing my trailer. They're going to be linking my website, my shows, talking about this show. So, I wanted to take a little while here at the beginning of this show to welcome all the new listeners that hopefully are here to check this show out. 
And I would invite each and every one of you to check out tlgpodcast.com. And from there, on a button on the right-hand side of the page, you can find my archives. There is 120 other shows in my archives that you can listen to for free. And you don't have to listen in order. You can pick and choose and jump around all you want. There is no chronological order to this show. I just talk about whatever interests me that week. Um, this, this show is, of course, about the assassination of our 35th president, John F. Kennedy. And we do examine all aspects and debunk myths, uh, bore out conspiracy theories, and see what holds water and see what rings true and see what we discover anything new. It has been... Phew, 53 years, almost 54 since the assassination. There's been two official investigations, the Warren Commission in 1964 and the House Select Committee on Assassinations investigation, which spanned approximately three, two, three years in the late 70s. Now, of course, the Warren Commission found that Lee Oswald acted alone. And that there was no conspiracy. The House Select Committee on Assassinations, however, uh, concluded differently. They concluded that there was a probability of conspiracy uh, due to the fact of a recording made on a Dictabelt radio that was supposedly left open on a motorcycle. The button was stuck. And upon analyzing these sounds from the Dictabelt, they determined... Uh, there to be four gunshots, at least four. Now, some people hear seven, eight, but through calculations and, and comparing sounds of gunshots from different places in Dealey Plaza, which is where the assassination occurred, they concluded there was at least one shot from what we call the grassy knoll area. Now, I apologize to my faithful listeners who have been with me forever and ever and ever. What I'm going to talk about today is nothing groundbreaking, nothing earth-shattering, um, this show is mainly going to be for the new people that are checking my show out for the very first time. And it's been a very, very long time since I've recapped anything and, and recapped the assassination as a whole. Um, you know, we talk about certain aspects of it. Basically, we take it piece by piece um, on a weekly basis. But this week, we're going to ask some very uneasy questions some unanswered questions that just don't make sense to implore new listeners to get interested into the assassination, to get interested in the possibility of a conspiracy, to get interested into the fact that we've been lied to for 53 years, to get interested in the fact that something may have been covered up, to be interested in the fact that our government might have had a part and removing John F. Kennedy from the White House. Now, we're going to start with Lee Harvey Oswald, the accused assassin. He is a very enigmatic character. Um, he's often classified as a loner, a nut, a loser, a wife-beater, a very unhappy person with his country. But 
when you take a closer look at Lee Harvey Oswald, the man, you have to remember a couple things. This is a man who could not wait to follow in his brother's footsteps and join the United States military to serve his country. He tried a year early and lied about his age to join the Marines, and they wouldn't let him. And as soon as he turned 17, he was gone. He joined, and he was gone. Now, when we go back to the early years of his upbringing in New Orleans and Dallas, um, his family did move around quite a bit, but mainly he was from New Orleans. He didn't actually move to Texas until he was a little bit older. Um, but this supposed weirdo and, and loner always had friends. Always had friends. And we know, thankfully, now that he was also part of something called the Civil Air Patrol. Um, which was basically like a, a boys club that did fun stuff. They went camping and, you know... It was basically a preparation for uh, joining the military. Kind of like ROTC, but this was a little something different. Um, they were called cadets, recruits. And we know from a very important picture that has surfaced within the last 20 years, 20, 20 so years, that a man by the name of David Ferry uh, actually knew Lee Harvey Oswald. And he said he didn't. Because in the picture, they're on a camping trip together. And they are, looks like they're uh, making something in a pot over a fire. And there's a bunch of boys huddled around in, in white t-shirts. And David Ferry is standing there in his leather bomber jacket and hat. And it's very plain to see that it's David Ferry who had a very unique appearance. And for those out there who have seen the movie JFK, you'll understand what I mean from the bizarre way that Joe Pesci portrayed him. This is a man who had uh, a disease that caused him to lose his body hair. He often painted on his eyebrows and a wig, if you want to call it that, was a very nasty looking animal uh, on his head. And he had a very bizarre appearance. And by all accounts... And we know this from charges that were brought against him. David Ferry was a homosexual who, in fact, liked young men. So, but like I said, we go back to Lee Oswald. He was part of this Civil Air Patrol. He had friends in, in elementary school, middle school, high school, for what little high school he did go to. He had friends in the military. There were over 70 of his Marine Corps buddies interviewed between the, the Warren Commission and the HSCA. People that knew him, people that lived with him, people that worked with him, um, you know, and very strange occurrence happened. After returning from his stay in Japan, they came back to the United States, and Oswald put in a, uh, what do they call it? An early, an early leave. He wanted an early leave um, because supposedly his mother had injured herself and he needed to get out of the Marine Corps and go home and take care of her. 
which was granted in record time. What normally would take months to take place happened within, uh, you know, days or a week. He was granted this, and within three days of coming home to take care of his supposedly injured mother, he boards a boat en route to Europe. And on this route to Europe, he travels through England and Germany and finally makes his way to Finland. From there, he enters the Soviet Union and is there on a tourist visa. And then he visits the United States Embassy there and declares that he wants to defect to the Soviet Union and renounce his citizenship. So now we go to Russia. Now in Russia, Lee Oswald uh, had a very tough beginning there. The Russians weren't going to let him stay. But he attempted to commit suicide, which was debatable, um, how exactly how serious he was at this, timed with his interest guide to find him just in time to save his life. Um, thereafter, he was granted a stay in Russia. And of course, as people know, all over the world, in embassies of countries, at least in our embassies, a lot of the personnel perform dual, dual roles and work for the CIA. And it wasn't different back then, especially back then. I mean, this was in the height of the Cold War. These were our enemies, the Soviet Union. And there was spy games going on all the time. We were sending fake defectors into Russia to gain intel. They were sending fake defectors here to do the same thing. Now, while in Russia, Oswald was very, very active with his friends. He, went, he attended dances. He clowned around with his co-workers. We have photos of this stuff. He had friends. There's even recordings of him out there with, with one of his Russian friends performing these audio plays or podcasts, if you will, um, from the early 60s. Uh, you know, just kind of joking around and having a good time. You know, two young guys doing fun stuff. You know, the supposed loner. Now, while in Russia, he meets his future wife, Marina. Marina Oswald. Marina Prusikova, back then. And while Oswald is recovering in the hospital from a ear problem, and I think he had a mastoidectomy, he proposed to Marina Oswald... I think a week after knowing her and she accepted and they were married and soon after that they had a kid they were given a nice apartment in Russia I'm sure it was bugged to the hilt um, you know Oswald managed to stay in Russia for about two and a half years before he came home he changed his mind and wanted to return <clears throat> now some unanswered questions here is how exactly Oswald was able to get back into the country so easily without much fanfare. 
without being noticed too much by our own government, who denied for a long time that they even ever debriefed him. They still won't admit it. Richard Helms still won't admit it. But there's records, there's pieces of records, there's pieces of records that suggest that he was debriefed upon returning. Um, you know, was Oswald a CIA agent undercover acting as a defector? Was he acting on part of military intelligence, ONI in particular, which was, of course, part of the Marine Corps and the Office of Naval Intelligence? It's hard to say. You know, there were others. There were other defectors in Russia at the same time, and they all just happened to have the same physical description as Lee Oswald. You know, about 5'10", about 165 pounds, brown hair, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, odd, very odd. You know, and his wife, Marina, was granted a very quick visa to exit Russia, which did not happen back then. It was a bureaucratic nightmare to try to get out, if you're a Russian citizen, to be granted... Uh, you know, to leave the country. And that happened very, very quickly. People speculate, because Marina's uncle was with the equivalent of our FBI over here, you know, not KGB, but close to it, that possibly, you know, things were helped along. And possibly, she was attached to Oswald in order to keep a closer eye on him. For the Russians, certainly possible. You know, wouldn't you want this suspicious defector, eyes on all the time, reporting back? Who better to send to keep an eye on him than a beautiful, young Russian woman? So this crazy guy, this nut, this loner that the mainstream media wants you to believe is Lee Oswald doesn't exist there was nothing crazy about him there was nothing lone lonerish about him he always had friends he was close to his family even his extended family in New Orleans he stayed close to them now let's talk about him being a family man how many assassins do you know of or can name throughout the course of history that just happened to have a wife, a child, and I don't mean a big one. I'm talking a two or three year old, still baby, baby girl, and one child that had just been born. One month before the assassination. How many assassins do you know are married with two kids and just had a baby born? Now, I admit, things weren't the greatest between Lee and Marina at this point. And we are jumping ahead a little bit. Um, in fact, they had started living apart approximately 
around the end of September, beginning of October. Now, Lee's baby was born, I believe, October 17th or 20th, somewhere in that neighborhood. And, of course, the assassination went down November 22nd. So, like I said, his baby, Rachel, was only one month old at this time. How many people do you know that have jobs would kill the President of the United States for seemingly no reason whatsoever after just having a baby? I try to put myself in his shoes all the time to gain a to try to gain perspective on his actions. But nothing seems to make sense. Nothing. Or very little. You know, because now that brings us to motive. What possible motive would Lee Harvey Oswald have to kill John F. Kennedy? What possible motive? Now, Kennedy was known for being soft on communism and wanting detente with the Russians, wanting to end the Cold War, not wanting war, period. He was a peaceful man. He wanted peace at all costs. He wanted to smash the CIA into a million pieces and scatter to the wind because he saw the worldwide destruction that they were doing on their own without oversight. Taking it upon themselves to assassinate leaders of other countries to infiltrate and spy on our supposed behalf. John Kennedy was exactly the kind of president that Lee Oswald would have wanted in office. Because if you kill John F. Kennedy then you get the biggest, loudmouth, crude Texan you could possibly imagine in office. You know, and this is a, you know, poorly educated, backwoods, rednecky type guy who was only worried about one thing, and that was himself, Lyndon Baines Johnson. He could care less about anything else. The only reason he did anything in office is because he continued some of Kennedy's policies that were already ongoing, such as civil rights, the Civil Rights Act. You know, Lyndon Johnson didn't get that done. President Kennedy had already had this on the table and was working on it when he was killed. You know, Lyndon Johnson gave us welfare. Awesome. Thanks a lot, LBJ. So, and even Marina says that Lee, that Lee Oswald loved Kennedy. Never said a bad word about him. Nobody, in fact, reports hearing Lee Oswald ever say a bad word about President Kennedy, ever. So how can a man with no motive, 
a man with a family, a married man, a man who just had a baby, a man who has a job, a man who's getting his shit together to put his family back together, be so disgruntled and so disillusioned that he thinks things will be better if he kills the President of the United States. It doesn't make sense. There's no motive. Lee Oswald was a self-proclaimed Marxist. He supported Castro in Cuba. The Bay of Pigs happened because Kennedy pulled, pulled support, pulled military support for the, for the guys who were invading Cuba. That's why the Bay of Pigs happened. Had Kennedy provided them with proper air support and back and backup, we would have eradicated Castro very quickly. Now the flyers that Lee Oswald was handing out, fair play for Cuba, called for us to engage in free trade with Castro and leave them alone. You know, just leave them alone. The CIA was constantly trying to kill Castro and murder him. They didn't succeed, but uh, they sure as hell tried and tried and tried and tried again. You know, we uh, thankfully, you know, Kennedy, through after the Bay of Pigs, you know, got missiles out of Cuba. And we had to take ours out of Turkey, though. You know, you can't have a gun pointed at each other and one person take their gun away and then the other person still have their gun. So he made a deal. A deal that people didn't like. Namely, military people. Because they wanted war at all costs. They wanted to eradicate communism throughout the world, whether it was the Russians, the Cubans, Chinese, you know, whoever. They wanted to nuke Russia or nuke China. They didn't care how many lives were lost. And who's behind the military but big money, big name contractors who profit very, very much from war and rebuilding broken countries that we just bomb the shit out of. In fact, it still happens to this very day. Still happens to this very day. So what motive did Lee Oswald have to kill Kennedy? I haven't heard a good one yet. And I've been looking at this case for 25 years. Nobody can seem to answer that question. What was his motive? Because for me to kill the President of the United States, I'm going to have to have a pretty goddamn good reason to A, take another man's life, a family man, no doubt, a man with a wife and children, small children, just like Lee Oswald had. I'm going to make damn sure I got a good reason to take him away from his family. I'm going to have a good reason, a damn good reason, that if I get caught, that it was all worth it. Or if I get killed, that it was all worth it. There is no upside here, folks, for Lee Oswald committing the act that he has been accused of. No upside whatsoever for Lee Oswald. He benefits in no way whatsoever. People say, oh, he wanted notoriety. He wanted to be famous. He wanted to make a name for himself. 
Oh, really? Well, then why didn't he blurt it from the rooftops? That he got that some bitch. That he succeeded in his mission. Instead, we get what you heard at the beginning of this show. You have a very calm, cool, and collected, confused-sounding man loudly proclaiming, I'm just a patsy. Now, Lee Oswald was not stupid by any means of the imagination. He was a very smart man, actually. It was hard for him to keep a job, you know, but he got another one. He had a job. It didn't pay very much, but you know what? He had a job, and he showed up every day for work, and he did his thing, and he left. You know, now in Dallas, when he got a job at the Texas School Book Depository, he didn't make many friends. You know, it's kind of different from every other job or aspect of his life, military, Russia, school. You know, he wasn't as outgoing. He wasn't as friendly. Um, you know, was he disgruntled with the system? You know, he had lived for two and a half years in Russia where everybody's treated equally. You know, everybody's given health care. They're given a place to live. You know, they're given the same amount of food. Now, it all sucks. And there's it's poverty level stuff, you know. But it teaches a man how to live simply. And Oswald knew all too well how to do that. You know, Marina came back over here. She wanted to get a job. She was very taken with the culture. She wanted to dress differently. She wanted to learn more English. And he didn't want her to. He wanted her to be a mother to his children. He wanted to provide for his family so she wouldn't have to work. This was the crux of their arguments. You know, it wasn't because... Lee was messing around on her. It wasn't because Marina was messing around on him. It all stemmed from her wanting to be able to enjoy this life. But at this point, she already had two kids. And back then, the man is the breadwinner in the family. And it's up to him to take care of his family. Now, they were living apart by choice. You know, it wasn't it wasn't some uh, arrangement they had. It was, they, it was a choice that they both made um, and afforded the opportunity to do this by a couple that they had met earlier in the year, Michael and Ruth Payne, who lived in Irving, Texas, a suburb of Dallas, about a 15-minute drive from the Texas School Book Depository. And Lee Oswald went back many weekends. And if you look at Ruth Payne's timeline of events leading up to the assassination, she's very clear. And Lee Oswald is actually there way more than I thought he was. He visited Irving all the time. He would stay over there. He would sleep in the same bed as Marina. Okay, so this wasn't you know, because their marriage was over. It wasn't because they hated each other. It was just 
easier this way. Now, people often try to say that, well, maybe, hmm, maybe the Paynes were some kind of an intelligence outfit who, uh, you know, drove a wedge in between Marina and Lee, and you know, the wheels were already in motion to have this guy Lee Oswald be the patsy, take the fall for this assassination by then, and they wanted to separate them and, uh, you know, also kind of keep a close eye on what's going on with them. And I certainly uh, have no problem at all with that assertion. It's quite possible. Ruth Payne is actually still alive. She ain't talking. She ain't talking. Marina Oswald is still alive. And she ain't talking either. Lee's two children, <clears throat> Rachel and June, are certainly still alive. They're not talking much either these days. Robert Oswald, Lee Oswald's older brother, still alive, living in Texas. Buell Frazier, the man who drove Lee Oswald to work. <laughs> Was it every morning? Possibly. There's witnesses to that. Um... The man who saw Lee Oswald take a package into work that morning is still alive. And he's talking, actually. But he's saying a lot of strange things. A lot of contradictory things. He says the package that Lee Oswald took into work that day was only two feet long. Impossible to fit a rifle in. Impossible to fit a broken down rifle in. A two foot dime store bag. Now the difference between a dime store bag and brown heavy duty wrapping paper is of course the quality of the paper. Now everybody's seen cheap brown paper bags. They're really thin. They're really crinkly. They rip easily as opposed to a heavy duty sturdy grocery sack type brown paper bag that's very Heavy duty, uh, doesn't rip easily, holds up well. You can reuse them and reuse them and reuse them. My parents used to do this all the time in the 80s and 90s. We would save our brown paper bags and take them back to the store with us and use them to bag our groceries up time after time after time. For months, these bags lasted. But the sack that Buell Frazier says that he saw Lee Oswald bring to work that morning when he drove him to Dallas from Irving was a dime store bag and it was only two feet long. So therein lies the conundrum. The Warren Commission would have you believe that Buell Frazier was simply mistaken about the length of the package. Now, a broken down Carcano still, folks, is at least three feet long. The Carcano rifle had a very short barrel. It had to accommodate a bayonet, which is a knife that is attached to the end of the gun, you know, like they used back in World War II in the trenches to stab people when they ran out of ammunition. Now, you can't have a knife attached to the bottom of your gun that is shorter than the barrel. You know, this was not a hunting rifle. Did not have a very, you know, two foot long uh, 
barrel or a foot-long barrel, nothing like that. This was a couple inches. The gun itself was mostly from the stock. Mostly. You can't break down wood. just doesn't work. Sorry, you can take the gun apart, you can take the mechanical metal pieces off the wood, but you can't break the wood down. And the wood stock itself was at least 36 inches long. Now that is a foot, 12 inches off Bill Fraser's estimate of the package that Lee Oswald had that morning. So, is Bill Fraser telling the truth? Did Lee Oswald only have a two-foot-long package? If he did, then he couldn't have had the gun. He could not have had the gun. It just wouldn't fit in the package. Sorry. Now, Bill Fraser described this package as being six inches wide and about 28 inches long. Now, I submit, and I've pontificated on this, that even if you break down the Mannlicher Carcano, even if you break it down as small as you can get it, you're only saving three or four inches. Because that's about all the barrels stuck out from the stock at the end. Now, they didn't find any tools on the sixth floor to reassemble this gun. They assert that, oh, it could have been done with a dime. Uh, you know, but the juice isn't worth the squeeze there. Okay, I'm sorry. And it wasn't like a rifle was a rare thing to see even inside the school book depository. A couple of days before the assassination, a fellow by the name of Warren Castor brought two rifles that he had just bought in to show Roy Truly, the superintendent of the Texas School Book Depository, in which many employees gathered around to check him out. Um, you know, there was rifle ranges there. It wouldn't have been nothing for the guys to bring their gun in and be like, yeah, I'm going to the range after work, or I need to get my gun worked on, you know, this, that, and the other. Not a big deal. You know, Bill Frazier himself owned a rifle. And I assert this. If you own a rifle, and you own a rifle case, then you know damn well what a rifle looks like in a case, or a bag, or a brown paper bag wrapped gun. You know what it is. You just do. Now, Either Buell was mistaken about the length of this package, which he maintains that he swears is only two feet long. He doesn't think that he was mistaken about the length of the package. But if he was mistaken about the length of the package, and Lee Oswald did have a package, and it was three foot plus, and Buell recognized it for what it was, which is, of course, a rifle case, um... You know, curtain rods generally aren't three feet long. I mean, some are, but when you're furnishing a one-window bedroom, you don't need a ton of window or curtain rods. You just don't. You don't need a lot of them. And you certainly, as hell, don't need to wrap them in a brown paper package to transport them. I mean, personally, if I had curtain rods, 
I would grab the rods just by themselves. Now, if I wanted to be real extra careful about it and go through the extra steps, maybe I might tie a string around them to keep them together or a rubber band, something like that. But I sure as hell wouldn't build a brown paper bag out of, you know, with scissors and tape and all this nonsense to transport some curtain rods. That's just ridiculous. Now, in custody, we're told Lee Oswald admitted to bringing curtain rods that morning. I take that back. He did not admit to bringing curtain rods to work that morning. He says the only package that he had with him that morning was his lunch. And they asked him how big the bag was, and he said, Sometimes you just don't have the right size bag to fit your lunch in. Whatever that means. Another conundrum we have here is, of course, Oswald being on the sixth floor and not being seen by anyone whatsoever making his way down the stairs to the lunchroom where he's supposedly seen by Roy Truly and Marion Baker, the patrolman. Yet, despite the fact that we have at least four or five other people on these stairs at the time, immediately after the assassination, that don't see Lee Oswald coming down from the sixth floor. And supposedly the elevators were stuck on the fifth floor. After, you know, immediately after the assassination. So, could he have taken the elevator back down and sent it back up? Maybe. But you got to remember, back then, those elevators were very, very loud. Very loud. And people would have heard them. Nobody reports hearing them moving at this time. Now, supposedly when Roy Truly and Marion Baker, the police officer, come rushing into the building... They go to call the elevators, and they're not working. They're stuck on the fifth floor. So they proceed to go up the stairs, the back stairway. And supposedly something catches Marion Baker's eye on the second floor, you know, a barely closing door. And he sees Lee Oswald in there drinking a Coke, and he pulls a gun on him, and he says, Do you know this man? To the superintendent. And he says, Yes, he works here. And then they proceed to go up, racing up to the seventh floor. Now, as I said before, various people attested to the fact that they were on this stairway immediately after the assassination and did not see, not only did they not see Lee Oswald, they didn't see Marion Baker and Roy Truly. Now, there's a famous picture called the Alchin Six, who some researchers have claimed uh, shows a man resembling Lee Oswald in the doorway of the Texas School Book Depository as Kennedy is being shot in a motorcade. Now, this has been debunked over the years. The man standing in the doorway is named Billy Lovelady. And he attested to this fact over and over again to the Warren Commission, the HSCA, till his dying day. 
That's me in the photo. Now, there's been other photos that show a mysterious man in the doorway who very closely resembles Lee Harvey Oswald. And that man is known as Prayer Man. And he is seen in the Darnell film and the Wigman film. In the doorway. In the same frame as Billy Lovelady. So it's not Billy Lovelady. He's seen in the same frame as Frazier. Standing out on the front steps watching the motorcade. He's called Prayer Man because of the position of his hands. Looks like he's saying a prayer, you know. Um, but not really. Um, could this be Lee Oswald? Every other person who worked in the depository is accounted for as far as their whereabouts at the exact time of the assassination, except for the man they call Prayer Man and Lee Oswald. So, was Lee Oswald, did he make his way out the vestibule in time to watch the motorcade but not be noticed by anyone else? It's quite possible. You know, everybody would have been watching the parade. He could have slept his way downstairs from the sixth floor, walked outside just to have a look behind, you know, behind everybody else, not made a sound, not talked to nobody, just kind of watched. And then moseyed on back inside. Quite possible. Because there's mounting evidence. Mounting evidence that the whole second floor lunchroom encounter has been fabricated. And is a very, very fake story. And I'm going to have my friend Bart Camp back on here in a couple weeks. And we're going to break it down for you. And we're going to show you exactly why the second floor lunchroom encounter could not have happened the way they said it did. And you're not going to want to miss it. Now let's talk a little bit about the grassy knoll. The famous grassy knoll. Everybody, even if you don't know anything about the Kennedy assassination, you've, you've heard about it. The grassy knoll. The grassy knoll. Now the grassy knoll is, of course, a grassy area. A little further down Elm Street from the Texas School Book Depository on the right-hand side there. There was a wooden picket fence that spanned the top of it all the way down to the viaduct there where the overpass was, the, rail, the triple railroad overpass that ran over top of Elm Street um, to the other side. And behind the grassy knoll was a rail, rail yard. There was also a parking area. Now, the parking area was for the Dallas County Sheriff's Office or Dallas County Employees. They used the parking lot. They, they leased the parking lot back there from the railroad company to use for its employees. There was an access road off of Elm Street to get to it. There was also one behind the school book depository, another entrance to it. And, of course, you know, in behind the parking lot, right next to the parking lot, was, of course, the rail yard. There's much speculation about whether or not a shot was fired from behind the picket fence on the grassy knoll. We have people who claim to this day that they were the person who shot from behind the grassy knoll. We've had people assert that they were the person behind the grassy knoll and recanted their story. (coughs) 
You know, one thing that I, we talk about a lot on this show is proof. Proof. We talk about stories. Stories. You know, people associate a lot of things with the assassination. There's people out there who want you to believe they were there. Who want you to believe that they are important. Who want you to believe that they saw something. You know, and we saw these people today who are nosy Nancys. They want to be involved. They want to feel important. You know, whatever the reason. They want notoriety, fame, money for their story. Who knows? But there's a lot of these characters associated with the assassination. You know, they, I said before about the HSCA finding the addicted belt recording and determining another shot was made from the grassy knoll. And then this was debunked several years later by another study who said, no, no, that study was wrong. So we're back to square one. And with this case, you'll find people on the conspiracy side often do not agree about which conspiracy they believe happened. Because Kennedy had pissed off a lot of people. He had pissed off his Joint Chiefs of Staff, the generals, the military. He had pissed off the CIA, fired Alan Dulles, threatened their very existence. He had pissed off the banks. He had pissed off the Russians. He had pissed off uh, the mafia. You know, they helped get him elected. And then they double-crossed him. Bobby Kennedy was going after them like a rabid dog. And they felt betrayed. You know, they, trust me, they had enemies. They had many, many enemies. There was folks who fought in the Bay of Pigs who felt very betrayed by Kennedy's lack of action and lack of support. They got their friends and their brothers killed. He had many, many enemies, for sure. People that had very, very good reasons to want him dead. And then we have Lee Oswald, the supposed crazy lone nutter who just happened to be lucky enough with an old piece of shit World War II carbine with a rusty barrel and a shitty sight just happened to be lucky enough to get off three shots and hit two of them on target one being a kill shot to the head From an angle of 17 degrees and 87 feet back up in the air at a moving target. A man who didn't practice with a rifle. He had no time to practice. We have no reports of him practicing anywhere. He wasn't that great of a shot when he was in the military. So did the stars align for Lee Oswald that day? And he managed to stay undetected on the sixth floor in the window and get off two out of three lucky shots. Two out of three lucky shots. It's hard to believe. It's 
It's hard to believe. And this is why we care. This is why we wonder. This is why this show exists. And it's to try to figure out this puzzle. It's a conundrum. It's an enigma. It's a riddle. It is a question begging to be answered. It's a conspiracy of the millennia. Because we're still paying for the death of JFK today. Believe it. Believe that. CIA is more powerful than they've ever been. We pretty much ruled the world right about now. We could take on just about anybody and whip their ass in about two seconds. You know, what's left to do? What's left to do? Take the Middle East? Take their oil? And, and why do we need oil so bad? Because the big oil companies want us to keep having oil. If you think for a second that somebody hasn't figured out how to provide free energy, then you're an idiot. Tesla figured it out 100 years ago. We're just now getting battery-powered cars to run for a couple hours to go 100 miles on a charge. I mean, come on. If you think for a second there's not engines out there that run on water, that make their own energy, you're an idiot. No. We're being forced by gigantic billion, trillion dollar companies to stay addicted to fossil fuels and fight wars over this supposed rare commodity. And we're still doing it today. We're still there. CIA is the biggest drug dealer in the world. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, could the world have been a very different place had JFK lived? Damn right it could have been. And when he got done his two years in office, what if his brother would have jumped in? We would have had 16 years of Kennedys. Maybe more if Edward had jumped in after Bobby. They could have ushered us into a new era of peace and world peace and all kinds of great stuff. But, alas, it was not meant to be. The warmongers won. The big corporations won. And it all gets blamed on a lone nut assassin. One batshit crazy dude with some kind of motive. We don't know what it was. So yeah, that's the kind of stuff we talk about on this show. And look, it ain't just my show. My friend Doug Campbell does a show called The Dallas Action. It's another great podcast you need to be checking out. He had a great episode this last, last week about William Westbrook, a captain 
in the Dallas police force at the time back then, who just also happened to be associated with the military intelligence unit, the 112. And he was also the personnel guy for the Dallas Police Department. There was at least 60 or 70 military intelligence folks working in the Dallas Police Department during the time of the assassination. Should that blow your mind? Probably. Probably. So definitely check his show out. And you know what? Since I'm the featured podcast this month, and I don't have to pimp anybody else's show, but I'm going to anyway. You know, because I support folks that work hard and support me. Support the guys at Rumor Flies Podcast. They're doing a great job. Supports Pete, support Pete's Paranormal Chronicles. My friend Corey does a great job over there. Twilight Histories, my man Jordan Harbor, the CEO and proprietor of darkmist.org. Amazing show. Amazing show. You know, he takes you back into events in history and puts you right there in the middle of it. First person accounts. Fictionalized, of course, but very awesome indeed. The guys at uh, Astonishing Legends. Great, great show. I can't stress to you enough how great their show is. Check it out. Skull. My man Aubrey Sitterson kills it. He's one take Jake. He's a one man army of voices and characters. You know, it's just amazing what this collective of podcasters can do. You know, brutal ends. You know, true crime show about serial killers. That you should check out the Nighttime Podcast. You know, who has great guests on. They talk about all kinds of cool stuff. Paranormal, mystery, uh, conspiracies, true crime. All kinds of great stuff. That's the Nighttime Podcast. Uh, oh, my man Chris Stops. Andergen, Andergens. However the hell you say his last name. Chris Stops. The Eastern Border Podcast who uh, takes a look at Russian politics and Cold War era uh, stuff there. And he does a great job. He's a very hardworking guy. He has a very key cog in the wheel of darkmist.org. And there's many, many more that I'm not mentioning here. So I encourage everybody to head over to darkmist.org and support our family of podcasters. You can also hear this show and subscribe to this show on iTunes, on Google Play Podcast, I'm there as well. Stitcher, you can find me on Stitcher. You can find me on TuneIn Radio. You can find me on Spreaker. You can find me on any generic podcatcher or app that's out there that utilizes Google Feed Burner. I'm talking about Pod Kicker, Pod Butthole, I, you know, whatever. Whatever pod service you listen to. Probably there. And TLG Podcast is the website for this show. TLG Podcast, all one word. And look, while you're there, check out my friend Carmine's book. There's a link there, a page all to itself. Three, two princes and a king. Not three princes. 
which was a great song back in the late 80s. Um, Two Princes and a King, Carmine Savastano. Check it out. Get it on Amazon. And look, this week, I want to point you in the direction of my friend John Titus' website, covertbookreport.com. That's right. There's a lot of in-depth articles over there to check out that you're not going to find on the mainstream media. That's to do with global politics and conspiracy. Check it out. That's covertbookreport.com. For more, there's a link on TLG Podcast just for that. All my friends have buttons on my website, tlgpodcast.com, right there along the right-hand side. Check them out. Go there and tell them your boy sent you. So, folks, if this has interested you at all and wanted to check my show out, please help a brother out. Leave a review on iTunes for me so we can get more iTunes, or more eyes on this show. And thank you to the Dark Myth Collective and Neopolis Media Group for having me as part of their family. I couldn't be happier. And much love to everybody out there that's been listening. I'm blown away. You uh, continue to amaze me. I'm almost at 70,000. It's crazy. Craziness. I just had Doug on to celebrate 50,000. Not too long ago, it feels like. So keep up the great work. Keep spreading the word. And uh, this some bitch is beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt Bear Tool for free. 
Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.